And now a look at local and statewide news. Kodiak has had quite a year with snow, and we are only midway through February. Despite regular dumps of new snow, we've had just one snow day declared at the schools. KMXT's Maggie Wall has this report on what prompts the closure of local schools. If you stand outside in the Kodiak High School parking lot, you'll notice big mounds of snow and mushy brown slush all over the parking lot. Kodiak has had numerous heavy snowfalls in recent weeks. One, on March 29th, was deep enough to necessitate closing local schools. That, in turn, caused a cascading effect of multiple other closures, like government offices and some local businesses. Closing schools on a regularly scheduled day is not something that is taken lightly, nor done often. Kodiak Island Borough School District Superintendent Larry Ledoux said there are several reasons, but one stands above the others. The schools get paid based on student attendance and have a minimum number of days that students must attend. It's a big decision to close the schools because we have to make them up. And, you know, going to school on Saturday is not very popular, and the the, the joy of having a snow day soon disappears when you have to go to school on a Saturday to make it up. And while Ledoux makes the final decision, declaring a snow day is not something he does alone. He says he calls a long list of others who deal with roads, including the Kodiak City Public Works, the Police Department, the State Highway Department, Coast Guard Security, and Road Service District Number 1. But the first call goes out to Jerry Clark, who is the Kodiak location manager for the school bus company First Student. So Larry Ledoux said, on the snow day, you guys went out and made that decision. So how do you guys make the decision? For that first blizzard, the biggest part of the decision was that neither of us could get out of our driveways because of the drifts, and the visibility was very, very limited. So that indicator alone was we weren't getting on our own driveways. Our employees weren't going to be able to get to work. And most likely buses would not be able to navigate the roads if they were even plowed. Yes, and that's what Larry said, that the determining factor is, can the buses run? And typically that is the final decision. Can we make the buses run? Do you say, okay, Larry, are you like cell phoning, texting each other, or on the phone and making we notes? Are, and... We are either texting or on the phone. On the phone usually works a little bit better. And we just discuss what options there may be. Do we think that it's good enough that if a couple hours would let the plow people get out and make the roads better, do we do a delay? But Do you really do this like in the wee hours? So if it's like the other night, it was a heavy snow, only like th- two or three inches. Do you not sleep at night? Uh, no, you sleep at night. You just get up and look outdoors at about midnight <laughs> to see what it's really doing. And then my alarm is usually, like this morning, my alarm was set for four o'clock to get up and go start looking to see what they've done or how much snow has come down. Is it ice? Is it raining? You don't get much sleep then. You get it where you can. (laughs) (laughs) And once the decision is made, the calls go out to families. Superintendent Ledoux. In the last snow day, we had warnings, so we sent out an all call in the, the night before saying, we have a storm coming in, it looks bad. So if we think we're not going to have school, we will notify you between 5 and 5.30 in the morning to let you know. And so we have the ability to call all of our families within seconds, if you will. 
AllCall is a phone calling system that can send a pre-recorded message to anyone on a list. In this case, a list of all families in Kodiak with children in the schools. Ledoux says the January blizzard, which dumped 23 inches in 24 hours, was so bad that he considered a second day of closures, but ultimately opted against it. The day following the snow day, we were a little concerned because, you know, if you drove around, there were a lot of people still blocked in and the roads were real narrow, but we determined the buses could make it and that we also let parents know that if they couldn't get to school, then they would have an excused absence. So parents are the most important decision maker on when it's safe for their kids to go to school. But we made through the day. We had about, oh, 30% absences, which we expected because some parents kept their kids at home and probably some high school kids just decided to do something else on their own. To kids and others hoping for another day off, Ledoux says snow days are so infrequent he can't remember the exact year of the last one. For KMXT News, I'm Maggie Wall. The organization opposing the recall campaign against Governor Mike Dunleavy has told its lawyers to withdraw its appeal of the recall. Stantall with Mike said in a statement that, quote, the public is better served by devoting resources to educating the public why this recall is unjustified and a waste of public resources, end quote. The group also said it's clear the Alaska Supreme Court is determined to let the recall effort go forward. Stantall with Mike also said in its statement that the court indicated in a call Chief Justice Joel Bolger would not recuse himself from the case. The group said Bolger, quote, is a material witness in the case and directly participated in the events that gave rise to one of the recall charges. Since then, he has made public statements criticizing vetoes made by the governor, end quote. A clerk for the court said she told lawyers in a conference call on Friday that she wasn't aware that Bolger would recuse himself and that if anyone had a concern, they should file a motion. The state has also appealed a decision by an Anchorage Superior Court judge to allow the recall to proceed. The judge reversed a state division of elections decision that invalidated the recall. The Supreme Court ruled last week that the recall campaign can start gathering signatures. It will require more than 71,000 to put the recall on the ballot. The village of King Cove runs on fish. The community of 900 sits near the end of the Alaska Peninsula. Fishermen deliver their catch from the Gulf of Alaska and the Bering Sea to a huge processing plant owned by a company called Peter Pan Seafoods. And fish tax revenue pays many of the town's bills. Now, though, Peter Pan has put the plant up for sale. And as Nat Hurst with Alaska's Energy Desk reports, a shakeup in the seafood processing industry is raising questions about King Cove's future. A.J. Newman catches salmon, pollock, and cod, and for three decades he's delivered load after load to the Peter Pan processing plant in King Cove. But he and others in the village have grown frustrated with the privately owned business. He says Peter Pan will only buy so much salmon from fishermen each day, while the processor in the next town over buys more. You know, it's hard to watch your... Your buddy's catching double what you caught. So when Silver Bay Seafoods opened a new processing plant 40 miles to the west last year in the tiny village of False Pass, Newman jumped at the opportunity. The biggest part of the switching was the market. Peter Pan had too many boats and they couldn't handle all the fish. We just didn't feel like they were hearing us. For years we've told them our concerns and 
they just didn't really listen. Newman is known as a highliner. That's someone who's an especially successful fisherman. But he's not the only one who broke up with Peter Pan. More than half of King Cove's seine fleet switched to delivering their salmon to Silver Bay in False Pass last summer. Add all that fish up, and you start to get some pretty serious unintended consequences. Gary Hennig is King Cove's city administrator. It really started uh, with me as soon as we got the first tax returns in for last June. By the end of the summer, Hennig says it was clear that King Cove was on track to lose 25% of its total annual general fund income. That's because historically about half of the city's revenues, around a million and a half dollars, come from taxes on fish. Now Hennig and the city council are trying to sort out which services they're going to have to cut. That could include hours at the teen and rec centers, along with a program that helps seniors pay for their utilities. You know, to pick on kids and to pick on seniors, uh, that's a, a lot of emotions. And this is really what the mayor and the council are struggling with, you know, that uh, we know the value and the pride and the reasons that we have done these things, but the times are changing and we can't afford them. Now King Cove could be in for an even bigger shakeup. Earlier this month, news broke that the Japanese seafood corporation that owns Peter Pan is putting the company up for sale. Peter Pan hasn't said anything publicly about the King Cove plant's future, and it didn't respond to requests for comment. It's not clear who, if anyone, might want to buy it. Observers say the seafood processing industry is way overbuilt in the region. There's King Cove's big plant, Silver Bay's new one, and two more in the same area. John Fiorillo, executive editor of a trade publication called Intrafish Media, says the industry seems overdue for a restructuring that could lead to some players shutting down. Everybody is wondering why so much, you know, why such an arms race in a place where you really don't have enough resource. Somebody's going to be a casualty. Hennig, King Cove's administrator, says the city council is trying to be careful not to cause panic. But they're also mindful of the history of some of the other villages along the Alaska Peninsula and in the Aleutians, some of which have disappeared when their fish processing plants closed down. King Cove isn't the only village in the region that suffered amid a downturn in the fishing industry recently. Another plant in the nearby town of Sand Point closed for the winter amid a crash in cod stocks linked to global warming. We've got to start educating our fellow citizens that things are happening that we really don't have control over. With a little bit more time and hopefully a little bit more good news, maybe we'll end up being okay, but we're certainly not close to that now. Until King Cove finds out what's happening to Peter Pan's processing plant, Hennig says the village is going to have to be very careful about how it spends its money. In Anchorage, I'm Nat Hurst. The federal government has long recognized Alaska Native tribes, similar to how it recognizes tribes in the rest of the country. But Alaska's state government hasn't been as consistent, and state lawmakers are looking to change that. Alaska Public Media and KTOO's Andrew Kitchenman reports. Since the early 1990s, the federal government has included Alaska Native tribes on the list of federally recognized tribes. And in 1999, the Alaska Supreme Court ruled that the state must recognize them in the same way the federal government does. But even after that ruling, the state said Alaska Native tribes didn't have jurisdiction over adoptions, like tribes had elsewhere in the U.S. The state later changed that position, but this inconsistent history has left tribes with uncertainty about the future. Mostly the, the history between the state 
and the tribes haven't been great. Natasha Singh testified in favor of House Bill 221, which would extend state recognition to federally recognized tribes. She's a Stevens Village tribal member and a lawyer for Tanana Chiefs Conference. When I first entered my career 10 years ago, the T-word tribe was still somewhat off-limits in some sectors. Tribal representatives say the bill could remove uncertainty that could cloud the state's legal relationship with tribes. And the number of legal agreements between the state and tribes has been expanding. The state and tribes agreed to a compact in 2017 for tribes to oversee child welfare. And lawmakers have raised the possibility of similar compacts for public education and public safety. Ken Truitt is an aide to the bill's sponsor, Anchorage Republican Representative Chuck Kopp. Truitt is Clinkett and worked on the bill. He says there have been times when the state government denied tribal sovereignty and then asked tribes to waive their sovereign immunity from lawsuits. If you don't exist and you don't exist as a sovereign, why does the state require a waiver of sovereign immunity before they'll issue a grant? So our hope is that that kind of thinking will come to an end. House Speaker Bryce Edgman, a Dillingham Independent, says the bill reflects progress. He's of Aleut heritage. The journey that's taken place and the progress that's being made here, particularly in the last couple of years, has been almost rapid fire. And I view this legislation as um, watershed legislation. This is not an ordinary bill. Homer Republican Representative Sarah Vance, who is non-native, says non-native residents outside of the Capitol building should be included in discussions over the bill. We think that by asking for recognition as a tribes, it elevates the tribes over all of our other Alaskans. And we know that that's not true. That's not what's being asked. But I think that's the perception in a lot of non-native minds. And I would like to be able to have that conversation and talk about those uncomfortable things. Cop, the bill's sponsor, is not Alaska native, but he says the state's failure to recognize tribes has contributed to intergenerational trauma and issues like suicide and drug and alcohol abuse. We are absolutely incapable of moving forward as a state in any sense of wholeness unless we do this. That's really what this is about. Richard Peterson is president of the Central Council of the Clinkett and Haida Indian Tribes of Alaska. He says talk of concepts like tribal compacts to provide education feels hollow without formal recognition of tribes. It's point of trauma and contention to this day that while we're asked to step up and be a partner, we're asked to waive our sovereignty we can't get simple recognition. So I think this bill would really be a powerful way, to, again, to begin that healing. Peterson says the recognition would acknowledge the thousands of years of Alaska Native history. It does not give us any special standing over any other Alaska, but it recognizes our special place in Alaska. The House Special Committee on Tribal Affairs is scheduled to hear public testimony on the bill on Tuesday. In Juneau, I'm Andrew Kitchenman.